With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Fan. From the fish-filled Midwest lakes to the deep woods of the north, upland prairies filled with pheasants to the whistling wings of duck ponds this is saturday morning fan outdoors your show for hunting and fishing tips topics and conversations you can also send us a question or opinion by emailing us booth at kfan.com here's your host the fans captain billy hildebrand morning ladies and gentlemen boys and girls it's time for your day to begin your saturday more specifically to begin because it's time for fan outdoors yes <clears throat> it is as clear my throat just a little bit uh the 12th day of august summer is racing by much to my co-host bob st pierre's delight and uh I don't know. Yesterday we had some different different weather, and I understand in the Twin Cities and maybe where you were, there was a, quite a bit of hail coming down, along with heavy rains. We had rain and lots of wind, but it only lasted about 10 minutes. We'll take that. And in about 16 minutes, well, the sun will come up, and it will not set until 8 this morning. And about 4.10, the sky was clear, filled with lots and lots of stars that were obviously, and it was pretty neat and bright, but right now as I look out the window in central Minnesota, looks to be cloudy. <clears throat> and the wind, the wind here was in the southwest, and it looks like it's turning to the northwest right now. It's straight out of the west, and it's going to blow northwest today. 10 to 20 miles an hour. Whew. High today, 77 degrees, 60 degrees right now with a pelican swimming by slowly. I don't know if when they sleep, but they should be napping pretty soon. Hummingbirds are up and they're alive and well <laughs> as Bob chortles away in the background. Good morning, sir. Uh, good morning. I can picture it in my mind. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been up a lot longer than I was uh, a week ago this Saturday. Uh, oh, my. I could just, just sort of roll out of bed, walk across the living room, and sit down <laughs> next to you for a cabin cast. Yeah, it was a great deal of fun last week, Captain. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I've, I realized uh, yet again, there's one sound that will wake you up instantly going 100 pence percent and a, just as wide open as you can go. Can you guess what that is? Uh, uh, no, I don't. You can't. A, a sound that will wake you up out of, the, out of a sleep 
A your... sound sleep. Huh. Uh, well, maybe for you, Thunder? No, no. <laughs> I, uh, how, I about a, how about a gagging puppy? Oh, yes. Yes. And that, it's... That's not good. <laughs> well, you know, what's? I don't understand why dogs do this, but all four of them that are here with me, Mm-hmm. Uh, as I take them afield, I took them all four once. That was a bad move. <laughs> that was really a dumb move on my part. Uh, so we have we have toned things down now, and we're taking only one or two at mm-hmm. a time. Mm-hmm. But they're eating grass. Oh yes, yeah. I, I mean, they're just. It's like they're. <sighs> it's like chewing a cud. They just. They can't get enough of it. Yeah. And it just drives me nuts. And obviously, they can't digest grass. Right. Right. So, ten after four this morning, I heard that uh, unmistakable sound, Ugh. and I leap out of bed. And he didn't throw up. The huh. puppy didn't, huh. but uh, he was just gagging away. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, yesterday <laughs> he did throw up. Yeah, there's there's times when you think that they're smarter than they are, oh. and then they they you know every day I get done with work and I. Um, run the dogs, and they both, Gitchy and Esky, both eat grass, just like you're talking about. Um, and no way to stop them, e-collar, you name it. They just, they, they want to eat Esky, like, twice a week. She'll eat so much, even trying to stop her, that she'll, it, you know, she'll have to vomit it. And it's like, why do you do this to us? Because I'm, I'm watching her, like, just get it out of there, please. You know, uh, yeah, that's that's not a good sound when you hear that in the middle of the night. No, it's not. It's not a pleasant sound whatsoever because usually after that it it, it involves some cleanup and yeah. Um, and then when you try to go back to bed, it just sleep doesn't find you easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, but good. Everything's okay. Oh yeah. Everybody, everybody's fine, and he's happy as a clam too. Which is, uh, anyway, uh, hey, a couple of things that people might be interested in. Wild rice season starts August fifteenth and runs until September thirtieth, but the DNR is saying be sure you get out and check and see whether the rice is going to be ripe, because it's illegal to harvest green rice. I'm told, or I read. Hmm. I have I have never done it. Have you harvested wild rice before? I haven't. I, I wonder how you enforce harvesting rice that's not quite ripe. Well, it might not. You know, it might not cure or finish it properly. Too. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Huh. Um. But there's supposed to be. There's going to be excellent wild rice in central Minnesota and northern Minnesota in places, which is why they're recommending that you go out and scout. The other thing with some low water conditions in places, be sure you can even get access hmm. to some of the places you want to go because you may have to cross lots and lots of mud and uh, uh, you get stuck in mud when you're trying to walk. It's a um, it's not a nice thing. <laughs> you were searching for the right word there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, the right words I could say on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have oh. never uh, harvested wild rice. You know, this will come as a shocker to you. You know, something that you can hunt or gather. Um, 
I'm not a big wild rice fan. <laughs> Aren't you really? I, like, you know, twice a year? You know, not, honestly, not a, not a huge, huge uh, favorite of mine. What about you? Uh, I, I, I really enjoy wild rice and, um, Eric usually has some, or he gets some from, from people, Paul. Um, uh, anyway, Dave Pauly is, uh, he's a former, uh, DNR employee and he harvests wild rice as does Steve Kleist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when it's prepared, and I don't even know, I don't think it's real hard to prepare, but you have to have it processed too. And they recommend taking it to a commercial person because I wouldn't have a clue about that. I wouldn't have a clue about any of it really, but, um, I, I really I enjoy it and I like it. Mm. So and a lot of people do too. I think yeah. I'm surprised yeah. you don't because it's supposed to go really good with some foods too. <laughs> uh, there are occasions where I like it, but um yeah, it's not I just don't feel like it has that much flavor. I mean it's just it, I don't know, sort of bland to me. Huh. Um but you know, I'll, that means I'll just go find mushrooms or go chase birds instead. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they're try, they're talking about limiting the uh, uh, the mushrooms. number of mushrooms mm-hmm. that you can take, and I think that's silly. Mm. I think that's just absolutely foolish unless people are on public lands and picking them and then selling them commercially. I know that's against the law, mm-hmm. uh, but we had that happen to us. Eric had found a bunch of chicken of the woods on a on a log, and he just took a little bit of it. He mm-hmm. wanted to see if anybody wanted it and tried it, and he went back to get some more. And two guys had already found it, and they took it all hmm. and talked to them, and they were on their way down to the Twin Cities to one of the uh, uh, more exclusive restaurants, and they had, they were going to sell it to them. Hmm. And that that is not legal. And I I knew that for ahead of time too. Um, the other thing, um, the hunt register, the hunt regulations are available online on the DNR's website right now. I was just there looking at it, and it's not going to be available in printed version for a couple of weeks yet, or maybe soon, but it's not out there right now. And also, the hunting licenses are on sale. You can buy them both in person and online, too. So be sure you think about getting that taken care of. I know that I'm going to stop and pick up my duck stamp next week. So I've got that all done. And today is day two of Game Fair. So if you're looking for some activities, I know you'll have a blast out there, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you go out there, Bob? Um, I will be there all Sunday of next week. Uh, that's my uh, uh, okay. That's my shift, so I'm not out there this week. But um, the entirety of the final day, I'll be out there. Oh, uh, okay. Those are that final day is usually a good time if you're looking to purchase some things that uh, some vendors may put on sale, so they don't have to haul it back to wherever they're going. <laughs> yeah, stop at the Pheasants Forever booth. Uh, dealing with Bob, everything must go. <laughs> See, yeah, come on down. <laughs> we'll make, we'll we'll do a little bartering. I, I and and I know that uh, Eric has bought some some waterfowl things that mm-hmm. uh, that were on sale that guys didn't want to take back, and they, he got an awful good deal on them. Uh, so, if you're looking for something, uh, some PF stuff or some waterfowling stuff or some dog things, yep. Great place. Uh, maybe go early 
like this weekend and check out what you're what you're interested in and where it is so you don't have to go scouting around for it and go back next weekend. Well, and plus you could take some one-eyed crankbaits for Bob. <laughs> and it's a great place to uh sign up or renew memberships to all your favorite conservation organizations. Yeah. That's that that'll be That's our true. primary focus and we have, you know, 500 people that come back and see us every year at game fairs, so We'll have uh, some fun uh, membership premiums to get people signed up and become Pheasants Forever members. But if you, you know, you're Delta Waterfall, Ducks Unlimited, Rough Grouse Society, Minnesota Deer Hunters, they're they're all there. So, you know, please um, um, get signed up for your favorite conservation organization, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, and, and if you're trying to decide what day to come, uh, come next Sunday, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk with people and. Get signed up, and we will not have a booth. Pheasants Forever will not have a booth at the Minnesota State Fair this year. So, um, come to Game Fair instead. And uh, we are going to talk. Bob mentioned waterfowling. We're going to talk some waterfowling this morning with Mr. Paul Waite from uh, Delta Waterfowl, and he is a former editor of the Delta Waterfall magazine, and now he is working on some special projects, and we'll talk to him about that. But also some of his hunts and the outlook for waterfall, uh, both in the Dakotas and perhaps where you live and look forward to. And I've got to be very honest with you, I have not seen much Hmm. for any kind of game in my uh, travels afield. I have seen three pheasants in about 10 trips out in the field, I have seen uh, two or three ducks, and they were flying, but they usually don't see a lot of stuff this time of year, too, because the corn is up, and it's it's tall. The beans are tall and green, and the grass is wet in the morning, and uh, it, there's some of the, the blue stem that looks really, really nice, and I'm seeing water, but there's also a lot of the invasive cattails around, too. Mm. So scout before you go. And uh, that will make a big difference in your hunting, uh, uh, your hunting experiences, I think, this year, as it does every year. Let's take our first pause, Bob, because on our return, we'll be joined by Mr. Tommy George, who just returned from Vermilion, which we talked mm. about a few weeks ago at length. And it looks like uh, he and his family were up there. and We'll find out how he did. So we'll take a pause and be back with more Fan Outdoors after this. Bob St. Pierre is in studio. I'm at the cabin with a cabin cast, and you are wherever you are. So grab a (laughs) cup of coffee, and I'll share a donut with you if you want to stop by. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Fan. When the sun goes down on my side of town. 18 minutes after the hour of 6 a.m. I guess I was... 
lying to you because it looks like a clear sky now that the <laughs> light is a little bit brighter too. Just looking out the window and hummingbird wars are uh, going on as we speak. They are just crabby with each other. I don't know how come, but they're protecting the food source, I think. And anyway, uh, I will have to give one of them a striped shirt and go out there and <laughs> and uh, referee it, too. See? Okay, it's your turn now. Oh, now it's your turn. It's your turn. Your turn. No, wait. Now it's not your turn yet. So, uh, hey, one, anyway. uh, one quick uh, um, on-air production meeting for you, yeah. Captain. Um, so, we're going to have guests today on the show, correct? Uh, yeah. I thought we were going wall-to-wall with fishing tips from me after last weekend's cabin cast. Oh, that's, uh, we, we, we can do that. <laughs> uh, no, it's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll bring time. Are you here. sure? Because I want to hear two hours of fishing tips from Bob St. Pierre. <laughs> you, you, got, you got them last Saturday on the boat, didn't you? Oh, uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> All I heard was you got another one of those. <laughs> get the, I I thought I was saying get the net most frequently. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said what is it? <laughs> I said I don't know but get the net. <laughs> <laughs> no you didn't. I think he says it's I think it's a pike. Uh, I looked at that white spot in the tail. I said, "Damn." Hell no. Not a pike. <laughs> My phone hit the hit the floor, and I was di- diving for a net. <laughs> uh, Bring into the conversation our next guest. He is a good friend of ours and uh, a welcome contributor on a regular basis every other week, Mr. Tommy George. Tommy, good morning, sir. Good morning, Billy and Bob and uh, Brett. Uh, yes, I heard uh, heard Bob did pretty good. That's uh, <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, he he really did. He played Tommy. He played that fish, those fish, actually two of them, really really well. And I was impressed with that. He didn't just reel like some of the people do, or sometimes <laughs> that I do. That, that tells you how how professional he is. Oh, there you um, go. Yeah. It was it was very fun. So you've been on on, on Vermilion this week. Yeah, last week, uh, Bob. We uh, we had our family yearly outing, and uh, you know I'll tell you what. I have to do a real quick shout out to Susie and Jerry. Uh, I think it's Chiabati is the, the way you pronounce her name. These are managers for the McKinley Camp campgrounds up at Lake mm. Vermilion. Mm-hmm. If anybody wants to go camping, truly, it is it's it's the 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 best place ever to uh, to camp on Lake Vermilion. It's just amazing. Uh, they're such good hosts and. The kids, you know, Billy, there was 11 of us. I think I sent you pictures of my boat. It, uh, it looked uh, pretty dangerous out there with all these people in the boat. So you I think? my son and I, pardon me? I, I was and I commented to you who said duck first, and I think you said you did. <laughs> truly, truly, Billy, you know, with all the kids, we had grandkids up there. There was 11 of us. And, you know, there was absolutely not an accident. The kids are so good at at fishing, at casting and stuff. And I told them, I says, always watch yourself. I says, don't let the, your lure hang too far down. You know, some kids let it hang too far. And when it swings around, you're going to hook somebody. But anyways, the week was <laughs> fine. And <laughs> we, we, my son and I went out. We did some trolling to see if the fish were deep with the 
um, crankbaits and stuff, and they weren't deep yet. The water temperature down here was like 80 degrees. Up there, the water temp was 75, and I was glad to see that. But the fish weren't out deep yet, and it would be a week or two before they really move out into their deep launches. But um, we ended up right in front of McKinley. There's some nice series of humps out there. And uh, we were catching smallmouth. You saw a number of pictures of smallmouth. And yeah, then we caught some really nice perch. Mm. I mean, 12, 11, 12 inch perch. And, uh, and then we, we did catch a few walleyes in this area, but the best, Bob, you know, Stunts Bay <laughs> was by far huh. the best of the, of the whole week. Stunts, the, the wind was kind of westerly blowing in there all, almost all week. Mm. And when, when the wind blows into that area, the, the fish just really migrate in there. So we just sat in there, and everybody the cook took everybody out, and you could all vertical jig out there, mm-hmm. and we're vertical jigging in ten to twelve feet of water. Everybody is catching fish, and it was really fun. And besides that, uh, being up there a whole week is it's it's like heaven. I started every morning at like six in the morning, and uh, everybody was you know, I mean, if they weren't sleeping in, they were jumping in the boat. So I was busy all week long, and my daughter-in-laws, um, <laughs> Megan, and my uh, my other daughter-in-law, Jenny, they have black stones, and you know how good it can. The food up there is just amazing with these ladies. The way they, the way they cook and stuff, it was just it was the best week ever. So mm. um, I stayed in the, uh, one of the last days and did a big fish fry, and we had a lot of walleyes and a lot of perch. And it was just, uh, it was just fantastic. So if anybody ever wants to have a really good camping experience, you got to try it one time. That's why we go up every year. You know, it's a yearly thing and the kids are looking forward to it already. So, but anyways, it was a really a good week and the fish did cooperate. So, um, we're going to go up there again, my son and I in September, later September, early October. And we know that. That's when the, the uh, crankbait bite is going to really be good. Tommy, the the uh, the dog didn't drive the camper anywhere this weekend, did it? <laughs> you know, Billy, the dog. I had a couple fatalities on rods, and I think it was her fault. Uh, she's stepping around the boat, and she gets excited when somebody's pulling fish in. So she's running around the boat, and she was with us, Ollie, uh, the blue kick healer, and she just loves the water. So. Um, some either either blue ticks like the water or they don't. She's one of them that just loves it. But when we go on the boat, she's jumping around like crazy, and she's not a light dog. So, but she uh, she didn't have the chance to uh, drive the camper this year. But uh, we're teaching her yet. <laughs> she's got her learner's permit, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, we we did catch some nice. You saw some nice pike that my daughter-in-law Megan caught. And, some really nice smallmouth. My daughter, my daughter-in-law Jenny, caught like like eighteen-inch smallmouth, and we let all those go. But uh, we kept walleyes and we kept perch. And what uh, what a fabulous place to go! Like they uh, they really do a lot of advertising for Vermilion, but it is truly my favorite lake in Minnesota. When you were vertically jigging, Tommy, we, it was a, a jigging a minnow, jigging a leech, uh, jigging plastic. You know, Billy, we had. Honest to God, we had I had leeches. I had I didn't have any crawlers, 
But Jerry at the at the resort, he he was selling crawlers. I says, I want some. I took some. It was the best. I'm so glad I did because it, it really proved we were using half a crawler. And I would go over there in the morning and I asked him how he was doing. He said they, him and his buddy were doing good, fishing jigs and half a crawler over by Birch Bay, um, Birch Point, I should say. And uh, so I tried it on the other end of the lake down by Stunt. Wow, what a difference. So I had leeches. We went through all the leeches. We, we went through minnows. I had minnows. We had a crawler. So I had all of them. Hmm. And truly, every one of them worked. And all on jigs. You're right, Billy. We tried bobbers. But it was it, it wasn't as much fun as with jigs. Everybody had a chance to you know jig right on the side of the boat, and you know I was amazed at, at even in eight feet of water, um, everybody's jigging on the side of the boat, and everybody's catching fish right under the boat. So it was a wonderful it was a wonderful week, and I, I I'm just real, real proud of my grandkids and all the girls. The the ladies did extremely well. Tell me, when you're using a jig and a half a crawler, how do you hook the crawler? Do you thread it on there or just hook it one or two times? I hook it. Billy, I hook it just once, one one good time. And my son, Ben, he's, he hooks them two, three, four times. And I don't like that because I don't, you know, you get a better action with that with that crawler when you hook it once. It's like a, a, a nice little ribbon tail. And same with a leech. When you hook a leech, you only hook it once. Some people like to hook a, a leech two or three times so they, so it doesn't come off. Well, to me, you're not going to get as many bites like that if you do that. But uh, So I hooked my crawler once, and, you know, when you cut them in half, that's, it really works well. And uh, you don't get the short strikes like you would normally get if you uh, put a whole crawler on. So. With your leeches, do you hook them through the nose or the sucker end? You know what, Billy? It, uh, the, usually the sucker end, because when they, if you put a leech in the water and you put hook them through the sucker end, you you can see them swim out of you know like swimming away from the leech. That's the action you want, and uh, it really seems to work. But you can I have hooked them uh, up through the the tail kind of. It actually I, that's actually the head. People don't know that, but anyways, that's uh, you can hook them both places. But I normally hook them right through the sucker or just be underneath the sucker just a little bit and a little get uh get a little more meat on the hook and uh, it does it really make the difference with the the temperatures we've got now tommy and it's 60 degrees here the last week it's been really cool compared to what it was before and like i told you or text you i haven't been on the water now for a few days or not since uh day after bob left but I'm guessing the water is cooling down. And I wonder if some of these fish are going to get fooled in thinking that it's uh, we're going into fall already and they'd start moving more shallow. They're very possible, uh, Billy. Uh, you know, this sounds kind of nuts. We had that bad storm last night. My uh -huh. son and I, we, we, ended up, we ended up going out fishing last night. Um, it was, we went, we went out before the storm, but we kind of ran right into the middle of it. It rained on us, no hail, just rained heavy. But when we got to the lake, it was clear. Hmm. We never got wet and we ended up catching fish in 20, was like 21, 23 feet of water. And they're still out deep right now because the water temperatures is still pretty warm. But you're right, the, the, the surface temperature is starting to cool down because of the, 
the cool nights now. So Billy and they will, they will start moving in. But you know what? I didn't even try shallow because I knew these fish were still out deep and they were, we went to one spot, caught what we wanted for supper and we, we, we did it. So, but you're right. They will be moving in shortly. And, uh, it's, it's all, it's all based on water temperature as far as the fish, the fish's moods, the way they, the way they move out. So that's why we didn't do any good deep trolling up at Vermilion because the water temperature was still cool enough. Once it gets really warm, they'll start moving out deeper. But uh, it's the transition starting happening now. So that's why you're going to have to look shallow and deep. And if you start out, it depends on water temperature. If it's in the 70s, you can start out shallow. There's nothing there. Just move deep until you, you know, you, you locate fish and your electronics is, is your whole key to uh, finding any, any schools whatsoever. What was um, the uh, um, musk, <clears throat> musky fishing pressure on Vermilion while you, while you were there, Tommy? Were there a lot of boats uh, targeting big toothy critters? Um, just a few, Bob. To tell you the truth, you know, I expected a, a lot more. Mm-hmm. But there's some real favorite humps that uh, these guys target. And uh, when I went by them, I, I didn't see a lot of action, to tell you the truth. And so I was, you know, wondering about that. But uh, the fishing was, for your other predators, were fabulous. Mm. But uh, the muskies, I didn't see any muskies. We didn't have any, although my grandson uh, tied into something really big. And it was either a big northern, or it could have been a muskie over by McKinley. And mm. they do they do fish some of the humps out there yep. for muskies, so he might have had one on, but it didn't take long. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he almost fooled them. And uh, huh. other than that, he he did uh, break the line. So, but uh, that's the only that's the only muskie action I think we did get, Bob. But I didn't see a lot of a lot of muskie, uh, you know, fishermen out there. Mm. You know, Tommy, and probably the last question, but the, each lake has a, its own personality, and I think every angler, if you go to wherever you go, you've got to try to figure some of that out. Where and then deep and shallow, that's the the one of the main ingredients that you have to figure out, and it changes. It changes from oh, yeah. week to week and day to day. Day to day, you're right, Billy, and uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, my son Ben said he he says I wish we would have. Uh, checked stunts earlier because that was the key to everybody's success. And uh, it, 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 we only had to go there because uh, the fish were stacked in there and it was basically because of the wind direction. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one one of the big keys uh, of knowing where to fish or starting out. And like I say, I always like, and it wasn't real heavy winds. It was just a, kind of a rolling rolling uh, wind that, that had a nice a nice um, chop to it, and that really does make a difference for these fish to start moving into some of these points, some of these rocky humps and stuff like that, and uh, it did make a difference for us. So uh, there's so many factors in that, Billy, like you said. Once you put a few things together, water temperature, uh, wind direction, and uh, your bait, everything, it's uh, it's it's like a big puzzle. You figure <laughs> yeah. it out, and you're going to have you know success. And it's fun when you do figure it out, Tommy, and it's frustrating when you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you always, Billy, you're right. <laughs> yeah, because you do. Yeah, I'm looking at a map of Vermilion online right now, and you look at it like, oh, okay, I can see the the depths and the contours and the points in the islands. And then you launch your boat, 
and you look at all the water, and you're like, oh, this is intimidating. This is hard. <laughs> right? I mean, that's a really big lake with a lot of um, underwater structure. And it's, yeah. it's it, you know, the first couple of times out there, I mean, it was shooting goose eggs. I could not find. Uh, it's relatively easy to find smallies, I think, out there. But uh, walleye, yeah. um, you know, until you start figuring out the, a pattern, they are difficult yep. to locate. Yes, you're right, Bob, 100%. And like I said before, you know, I asked um, the, the, the manager, Jerry, and he told he was, you know, not hesitant to tell you at all. Mm. And, uh, it, you know, he mentioned uh, over by Birch Point, mm-hmm. which is, I know it's a very good spot. And it was a little far for me to take the kids and everybody else, but um, I just knew that some of these other spots have been proven over the years, fishing memories again, okay, mm-hmm. and I, I started, I started doing memories, and it did, it did really pan out. So, mm. um, but they're they're more than helpful, you know, let you know what's going on, and other fishermen. Uh, there are some guide trips going out of uh, the McKinley, and I was asking those guys, and they were more than willing to, you know, tell you exactly what they were using, where they were, the depth of water. And it, the, the fish, all of them, everybody said the fish are not deep. They're in the shallower stuff, 10, 12, 15 feet of water. Hmm. And that's what we targeted. And that's why that's why we did good. Tommy, we'll catch up with you again in a couple of weeks. But are you going to fish this weekend? Yes, absolutely, Billy. It's uh, I've got an, uh, another family that's coming in, and uh, I'm excited to take them out and do some crappie fishing. So I'm hoping to, that they'll have a good time. Excellent. I'm sure they will. I have no doubt about that, my friend. Uh, have a great time, and uh, we will chat, okay? Thanks, fellas, again. You guys have a good weekend. Thanks, Tommy. That's Tommy George, pro angler Tommy George. And uh, the success was had on Lake Vermilion, as you can tell from our conversation. We will take a pause and be back with Mr. Paul Waite from Delta Waterfowl, talking ducks and geese. On the fan. For a number of you, ship work. And I know for me, and especially for my oldest son, waterfowling is an addiction that you just can't get enough of and eric i know when he was in college i think he spent most of his student aid money on decoys and hunting equipment um but it's a benefit because he's taught me a number of things along the way that i i did not know even though dad was uh, quite a bit older than he and i think our next guest could teach us something too because he is uh, i met him a long time ago and that was uh, with a media hunt that we went on with Pheasants Forever. But now he works for Delta Waterfowl, former editor of the magazine, and also had lots and lots of hunting experiences and still writes for the Delta Water magazine, too. And uh, he joins us right now. Paul, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Not bad. Not bad at all. And yourself? Good, good. There's a hint of fall in uh, in the air this morning, and you know, enjoying the birds singing, and uh, 
can't wait to be out there in the in the duck blind really soon. It's only a couple weeks out now for early goose and and teal season. So yeah, really looking forward to it. Well, the, the early goose season, Paul, is a, an interesting phenomenon because in my youth, uh, we were lucky if we saw one or two geese. And if you saw three or four, there was always a line of about 15 cars following them, waiting to see where they were going to set down. And uh, now I don't think my boys have ever had in their hunting lifetime a year that the early goose season has not taken place. And for a lot of people, they build everything around it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can I can sure recall those days when when you shot a Canada goose, it was a real trophy, right? And and you, you know, you kind of live for that. That was a highlight of the season. And I'm not saying it's not a highlight now, but yeah, there's so many more geese now, and and so much more opportunity to hunt them. It's it's uh, the younger people have no idea what it was like back in the 1980s. Uh, one of the articles that you have written, Paul, for the for Delta Waterfall Magazine, is titled "Do We Have Enough Duck Hunters?" And right. there's so much effort by a lot of organizations, including Pheasants Forever, Delta Waterfowl, to increase hunter recruitment. And is it happening, or is it kind of uh, a, a lost cause? Oh, no, I don't think it's a lost cause. I, I think that, you know, several years back, a couple decades back, Delta Waterfowl and some other organizations, certainly, and, and wildlife agencies kind of figured out that, hey, you know, this baby boomer generation is going to age out of hunting. And, and what's going to happen when when that happens? Um, so we need to recruit the, the next generations in the future. And, um, you know, people, a lot more people live in the cities now. They're not as connected to to uh, those rural areas and so hunting is is uh not as central to their lives as it used to be and so uh we need these hunter recruitment programs of course at the same time the article i'm working about on now is about uh, access access to quality waterfowl hunting and of course that's tied very closely to hunter recruitment if you don't have anywhere for those new folks who are getting into waterfowl hunting to to go hunt ducks and geese or pheasants or deer or turkeys um you know you've got a problem so so delta's working on on that front too on the access front what what do you think the oh sorry go ahead cap no go ahead bob well i was just curious paul uh good morning by the way are you are you uh are you living in southern wisconsin these days or have you moved I live in eastern Wisconsin, northeast Wisconsin, near Appleton, Wisconsin. Okay, so, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, about an hour from Green Bay. Um, but it, yeah, I was waiting for you to throw a Go Pack Go in there. <laughs> no, but I can did, if you want. They did, what, they did win last night. Uh, their preseason game, which means absolutely nothing, of course. But uh, so, like you talking back about um, uh, hunter recruitment, when it comes to to waterfall, it seems. Yeah, I compare it to pheasant hunting and pheasant hunting, you know, there's limitations of dogs and access and uh, opportunity, but there's not a huge gear component to it. But uh, when you think about waterfall hunting, what are some of the major limiting factors to a a new person, whether young or old, uh, getting into waterfall? What do you think is the biggest hurdle? 
Yeah, I think there's a perception. It's interesting you mentioned the gear. There's this perception mm-hmm. um, that you need to have a boat and a mud motor and a dog and, you know, 100 decoys at least, you know, and know how to call. And you, you need all the right camo and you need all these things. And the reality of it is those things are all great. And, of course, I have all of those things being in it for 40-some years. But but you don't really need that. I mean, there's a lot of places you can walk in with a shotgun and, you know, some steel shot in your pocket and, you know, whatever camo jacket you have and sit down on a stool and, you know, with a couple of decoys maybe and and um, shoot some ducks or, you know, you can hunt geese. But I, so I think the, you know, this perception we have that you have to have all these things and, and that it's, you know, so hard to get into mm-hmm. works against us when it comes to recruiting new hunters. Um, yes, there's a lot to it, but, you can simplify it. Paul, one of the other things that come to mind, and and my my part anyway, is there's a limited number of places now, and you mentioned it earlier with the uh, people moving to the metropolitan areas and losing touch or your access to some of the private grounds that used to be out there. And it's for one reason or another, the drainage or, or whatever. Uh, dry conditions, but now most of the places that people have to go duck hunt are public lands. That's the easiest to find. The problem that I found with it is you get so many people piled into public lands for duck hunting and nobody has a good experience and oftentimes it's a, a rather negative experience and People can get turned off by that and just say, well, what the heck, I, this, it ain't worth it. Yeah, that's that's certainly it. And when we talk about access, we're talking about access to quality waterfowl hunting. And there's a lot of different ways uh, to go about that. But you're right. You know, the opening weekend, um, Saturdays and Sundays, you know, during the fall are, are those high points of pressure. And so... Um, you know, if you can get away from from those time periods, you know, uh, if you have the luxury, and I know a lot of people don't, but if you have the luxury to hunt during the during the week, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, a lot of times those same properties don't have that many people on them. Uh, the other thing too, you know, that's changed with access is, um, you know, we have tools as duck hunters now, uh, mud motors and and other things, uh, you know, um, GPS, Onyx, and all these maps, you can, you know, you can find places uh, a much easier and you can access those places much easier. So going way back in somewhere isn't as uh, easy a strategy as it used to be. It used to be if you were willing to walk far enough, you know, you could have a hunt pretty much by yourself uh-huh. back in on land. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, there's some challenges to it, but the the rewards are great too. That's the other thing I Absolutely. think that. And uh, uh, scouting, my oldest son taught me the benefits and the advantages and the importance of scouting because when I grew up, we had one place to go, and that was some family uh, some family property with some water on it and some a couple of good ducks loose. But that's where we went. 
and we started going to public lands and we went those because those were the only places to go but as it closed in the ducks were more concentrated and they found little nooks and crannies and you just didn't see anything but it, it, when it does when it does work paul it's marvelous <laughs> Yeah, it sure is. And, you know, duck populations are pretty strong relative to some other time periods. You know, I, I came up into waterfowl hunting in the early 80s, and there was, it was during a pretty bad drought. And I, you know, if you saw some ducks, you were pretty happy with that. And if you got one, well, wow, that was, that was great. And I think we're spoiled a little bit now. And, you know, you go on social media or uh, and, yeah. and you see you see the best hunts that people had all season and you go you're comparing your success to kind of a false sense of what waterfowl hunting really is i mean it's not all about making piles of birds but it, as far as season lengths and stuff we do have a lot of opportunity i mean um you know there was no special early goose season there was no special teal season um you know we didn't have always have a 60-day season either back then so uh, i remember 30-day seasons and i remember when you had to apply and you got a permit for one goose for the year you know so so you know we're kind of spoiled a little bit in terms of of our perception of what a successful waterfall hunt looks like and I, I for for some of us old timers, the memories of what it was in the past. There's temptations to make a comparison, and it's not fair whatsoever. Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes if you do honestly make the comparison, um, things are pretty favorable right now in certain right. ways. You know, we were talking earlier about Canada geese and, and them being such a trophy back. You know, in in the eighties and nineties, and nowadays, you know, you can during the early season, you can. I think the limit's five in in Minnesota. It's five in Wisconsin during the early season. And man, I, you know, those early seasons for me, um, you know, if I shot two Canada geese in one season, that was like wow, I had a good year. And now people shoot two in a day, and they are disappointed. So. Um, or might be disappointed with that, you know. So, so yeah, it's all perspective, right? It is. And scouting, pre-hunting without a gun. I, I said it earlier, but I, I'm I'm convinced of that, Paul. That that pre-hunting and scouting is is so important for whatever you're going to do, and you have got time. Have time, but. If you do have time or make time, it will pay dividends in the end. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, I think that's the other thing, too, with waterfall hunting. People just expect to show up at their spot uh, on opening morning and have it be a great hunt. And, and uh, you know, the conditions change. I know one of the sloughs I like to hunt teal at right now here in eastern Wisconsin is there's no water in it. So yeah. if I didn't go look at it ahead of time and I just showed up on opening morning, I would be in for a big disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, bring, in your, bring your own water hunt. That's <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and our, our guest is Paul Waite, who is, works with Delta Waterfowl, and we're talking waterfowling. Paul, with that being said, I'm sure there's some places that 
uh, destination hunts, and they don't have to be far destinations, but I know being from Minnesota, when I go to North Dakota, or you get an opportunity to go to South Dakota, that can be a real memorable experience. It sure can. It absolutely can. And like I said, as part of the series, the, the next piece that will appear in the magazine is on access to quality waterfall hunting. And, you know, Minnesotans and people from Wisconsin, uh, we're, we're lucky because we do have the Dakotas so close to us. Um, you know, North Dakota, as far as uh, hunting <laughs> access, walk-in access is wonderful. Yeah. And you, if if you go to North Dakota and you can't find a place to hunt waterfowl, you're not trying. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty wonderful. Um, one of the things I just wrote about was their plots program, their private land open to sportsmen. You know, they have 800,000 acres open to, for walk-in hunting in North Dakota. Now there's some restrictions on non-resident hunters in North Dakota, but that's it's still pretty amazing that, that there's that kind of access. And uh, I know our last trip out there, we spent a day scouting with guns in cases and decided where we were going to go. And when we did get there, uh, and it was public land or land that we had access to, it was phenomenal. And a couple of times, too, a phenomenal and so much fun. But... It's hard to duplicate whistling wings overhead, and especially when they surprise you, too. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's that's what we live for. That's exactly what, what we're after. And, you know, they're, you know, contrary to what some folks think, if you're, if you're willing to get after it, put in the work a little bit, and, and go where the birds are, that's the other great thing about North Dakota, right? There's so yeah. many waterfowl that, that uh, hatch there. And then a whole lot more that migrate through. So it's it's really a great place for that. And there's a lot of other great places in in the United States and Canada too that, to, to go waterfowl hunting. Still, that was that, you're taking us to my my next question. That you have been all over the country waterfowl hunting in some pretty special places. What's what's under the radar that you think uh, should be on people's radar? And, Paul, let's hold on to that question for a minute while we take a break, and we'll come back to you. You're okay with that? I'm great. Thanks. Wonderful. We will take a pause and come back, and we'll ask Bob to remember his question. (laughs) Will I or will I? Get a pen and pencil. We'll find out. Write it down. Uh, (laughs) We will take a pause and be right back with Mr. Paul Waite of Delta Waterfowl. Talking waterfowl. This job that I'm working is hard on a person like me with that sunshine and like it is right now. So I'm punching that time. Tap your toes, everybody. Yeah. Got him. Brett, tap ya. your toes. Here we go. <laughs> Bright, sunshiny day. A boat just went up the lake and... Uh, there aren't many people that went by, so there's a lot of room out there if you want to go. <laughs> Fan Outdoors coming your way until the 8 o'clock hour. The uh, chortling in the background is that of my co-host, Mr. Bob St. Pierre. <laughs> he was here last week, and he was kind of tapping his toes, too, I so was. it's okay. Yes, sir. 
Get a um, little and, slice of heaven up there, Cap. And our uh, our guest is Mr. Paul Waite from Delta Waterfowl. Bob, did you write your question down so you didn't forget? <laughs> of course I didn't, but we'll, I think I can replicate it. Maybe even oh, okay. add a little flavor. So, I, I, you know, Paul, I know you've been at Delta Waterfowl for how many years have you worked there? Yeah, I've been there since 2011, so my math is good, 12. (laughs) And and you've had the good fortune of traveling all over the the country, writing stories of uh, hunting trips, um, chasing ducks and geese. And, you know, I think a lot of folks aspire to, you know, hunt hunt ducks in North Dakota under tornadoes of wings and, um, you know, in the flooded timber of Stuttgart, Arkansas, when they're dropping out of the treetops. But what what are some other maybe under-the-radar duck hunting trips that people should put on their radar as bucket list hunts? Yeah, for me, uh, one of my favorite states, and people are usually surprised when I say this, um, is florida i really like florida Hmm. um you know there's a lot of people there there's a lot of pressure but if you look at florida on the map and you you zoom in a minute there's so much water um in in florida and there's some really good duck hunting and by the way the best time to go there i think is is certainly in january when it's really cold up here Mm -hmm. and you can go down there and and hunt some ducks and maybe even in short sleeve shirts and and uh you know get back out of the north for a bit so florida is one of them um there's some other states out west that you don't necessarily think of immediately when you think about quality waterfowl hunting you know washington comes to mind idaho uh, oregon states like that um so are, are certainly uh some of my favorites and of course it's hard to beat going up to the prairie canada you know in in early october late september um just the sheer number of birds and um you know the spectacle of of whistling wings that you've mentioned a couple Mm. of times you know you can find that up there still and and it's uh just wonderful so i'm gonna channel my inner captain billy hildebrand here and and (laughs) when when you like instantly go to Florida first for your your top under the radar duck hunting destination, the the very first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm gonna bet a hundred bucks that it's the first thing that comes to the captain's mind, is I don't want my dog or me to get eaten by an alligator. I ain't going duck hunting in Florida. Uh, what what was the uh, what's <laughs> Captain, am I right or am I off? So you're, yeah, that that and snakes. So, what's the? Is that just perception, or do you have to be gator aware when you're you, in Florida duck hunting? You're spot on. Uh, you know, one of the hunts I went on in Florida, uh, I hunted with a guy who had a a wonderful Boykin Spaniel. And I felt so bad for that dog because we were shooting ducks. It was a really good, really good day that day. And he could not release his dog on them for fear of gators. Uh, The dog did get to retrieve. There were some spots where we hunting that he deemed to be all clear enough so that the dog could get out and go. But, but uh, I felt bad for that dog, but you're right. Gators are definitely, you got one eye on, on them a little bit some of the time down there huh i'm out i <laughs> no way 
There is no way. Yeah. Well, then I'll, then I'll give you a different under-the-radar spot. All right. That's Gulf Coast, Texas. And while there might be a gator or two kicking around somewhere, it's not as big a deal there. And, huh. and the waterfall hunt can be excellent there, too. <laughs> Paul, have you ever hunted out of a layout boat? Because that intrigues me. I have one in the garage, and yes, I hunt uh, every year. A bunch of friends of mine, a lot, many of them are from Illinois, come over to Green Bay, and we do a whole week of layout hunting. Um, and, and it's uh, it's duck camp, much like you'd have deer camp. Um, and yeah, it's wonderful. I love layout hunting. It's actually my favorite uh, way to hunt and- waterfall. Uh, my my son and some of his friends took me out a uh, field hunting out of layout blinds in a pick cornfield one time, and I had never done that before. And when the birds are crossing over right over the top of you, and somebody calls take them, and you go to sit up and shoot, honest to goodness, by the time I found a target and shot, everything was coming down and there was nothing left. I mean, it's hard yeah. to do. It sounds like you have some shooters in that group. Evidently. <laughs> I was a good retriever, though. Yeah. Yeah. You, if you're in a situation like that, you you got to sit up quick and find a bird, right? I guess so. But it, it's such a the, – the different positions that a duck hunter – well, it's nothing different than, I guess, a, an upland game hunter because when a bird gets up, you're never prepared for it. Mm. And it always goes a different direction. But this was something I didn't expect, and it was it was wonderfully fun, but yeah. uh, a lot of frustration. So I think it takes some practice too. It it sure can. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely part of the challenge with uh, with layout hunting in a field, and you know that's why I like the layout hunting on the water in the boat because well, you can get a two person layout, but I have a one person layout. So when you're out there, it's you know you're it's you and the and the birds coming in, and generally, and of course you've got guys in another bigger boat coming switch you out or rescue you or or make sure you're safe always but um that's the great thing about layout hunting on water is you know when the birds come in low you're hunting diving ducks redheads canvasbacks bluebills primarily and uh around here anyway and um you know the birds get right on you and uh you know they twist every which way like you said and another article and we're almost out of time, Paul. But another article that you have in the current issue of Ducks or Delta Waterfowl is called Roaring Ringnecks. And the ringneck duck is one that doesn't get, I, I don't think it gets enough of the credit for the target that it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. That article is about our, our decoy hunt, our delta decoy hunt. Every year we pick a different species and we go to a different destination to hunt uh, them. And last year was ringneck ducks. And we went to South Carolina, of all places, and, and hunted. And that was a really fun hunt. And we had a, a rig of hand-carved decoys that were made from garbers all throughout North America. Hmm. And then we take those birds. Those birds go to events and we auction them off. This year's decoy hunt is in Arkansas, and we're hunting mallards in the timber. So really excited about that one. Yes. Have you done green timber hunting before? 
I have, but it's been a lot of years, uh, probably 10, 12 years ago since I've hunted green timber. So we're, I'm excited about that one. Can you compare, because I have never done that, can you compare green timber hunting with anything that a number of local waterfowlers probably would have experienced a little bit of? Um, yeah, if, if you've ever had a high water year and you've hunted, you know, kind of on the edge of some trees, it's a little bit like that. But, you know, there's nothing like um, some of the boat rides into the timber in the morning in the dark and you're you're racing between these trees in a mud, in a mud motor driven boat. And you're like, oh, man, I hope, <laughs> I hope the guy driving the boat doesn't hit any trees. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a really neat experience and the duck kind of. Filter down in, and yeah, there's there's nothing else to really compare it to. Um, you know, they're dropping in right on you. It's it's close quarter shooting, and mm. the way the gunfire echoes through the woods, and you know, you hear those wings above you. It's yeah. It's, is uh, is I'm all fired green up tim- now. <laughs> <laughs> is green timber hunting? Uh, the the birds find the places based on calling and decoys or do they find the places based on scouting for the, before you hunt? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, just like you have traditional flus that the birds use. I think it's, it's like that. The birds are, are used to those certain areas and uh, a little bit of motion. You actually, when you're standing next to a tree down there, you kind of kick up the water to make some ripples in the mm-hmm. woods because it's usually not, there's no wind to move the decoys, right? So you might use a jerk string or something or, or you know, kick the water to, to make it seem like there's something living down there. Uh, and then calling certainly a very big deal. Um, that it's, it's it, these guys, the, the guys that are locals that do it often, they're incredible callers. I mean, and just to watch it, I, I watch it on video or a TV show or something. It's fascinating, as a lot of waterfowling is. I mean, it's just some of the people, if they haven't experienced a, a duck hunt that has some birds attached to it, they really need to, and I guarantee they'd be hooked on it. Guaranteed. Yeah, it's, uh, I love it. I've, I've been hooked my whole life, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can understand that. Uh, and Paul, I we're out of time, but I thank you for yours and uh, for joining us. We haven't talked for a long time, and I will have to make it a point to do this again because it's fun. Sounds great. Appreciate the time. Nice well, catching up with you, Paul. Yeah, Paul, wait. Up to you. Paul Waite from Delta Waterfowl. Uh, what hunt did we go with Paul on, Bob? Do you recall? <laughs> uh, he was working for Wildfowl at the time. I That's think, right. I think it was a, um, wasn't it one of the Aberdeen uh, hunts with Casey Weismantle, I think? It uh, could be, yes. I, I, um, or it might have... <sighs> I. It could have been a North Dakota hunt um, where we duck hunted in the morning and hunted pheasants and sharptails in the afternoon. I, I they all they all blend together. I guess I, I'm getting old, Cap. <laughs> but I I, I have, remember Aberdeen because that's where um, my dog Tess went absolutely berserk with all the the scent. And mm-hmm. Casey looked at me and said, "Minnesota dog." <laughs> I said, "Yeah." He says, "Yeah, figures. I can tell." I, I have 
haunted the flood attack. I know we got to go to break. Maybe maybe we'll talk about that at the uh, the end of the we show. Do that. But that was um, that's a pretty special experience. If you're a duck hunter that's never hunted flooded timber, it's it's really unique. Well, let's we'll talk about it last segment of the show and give people maybe a taste of it because I can't get enough tastes of it. I'd love to do that sometime. <laughs> I think you should. Uh, we're going to take a pause, and on our return, we'll be joined by Mr. Joe Henry of Lake of the Woods Tourism. As I talked to Joe earlier in the week, he just get got off the lake, so he's got good information that is very, very current. We'll talk to him about some fishing. Next on Fan Outdoors, don't touch the dial. We'll be. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to The Fan. If you leave me, I won't miss you. 20 minutes after the hour of 7 o'clock. Fan Outdoors coming your way until the 8 o'clock hour. Bob St. Pierre in studio. Billy Hildebrand here looking at the lake, and it looks like uh, the we've got a west wind right now, but it will switch and blow 10 to 20 out of the northwest a little bit later this morning. And usually that forecast is right. It just takes a while for it to turn around. So keep that in mind if you're going to be on the water today. And our next guest has been on the water quite a bit. And most recently, he was on the water up in Lake of the Woods. And that's because he is the uh, tourism director for Lake of the Woods, Mr. Joe Henry, and joins us right now. Joe, good morning, sir. Good morning. You know, Billy, 10 to 20, it sounds like a good walleye chop. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like big <laughs> waves to me, man. <laughs> uh, the 20 and 20, 20 and 20 plus is uh, that, yeah, that's a... That, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, hey, you said you were out, you were out fishing. Uh, success or struggle? Oh, no, really, really good success. You know, we, we're just doing a bit of filming up there. And, of course, you know, part of my job is to educate folks on the area and such. And, you know, we always try to uh, just give people an idea of, of what's going on, how to catch them, you know, depending upon the technique we're using, you know, how to best fish that, uh, that certain technique. And so we were on a charter boat part of the time. And, uh, you know, just to kind of show the charter boat fishing in Lake of the Woods, which is kind of unique for walleye fishing in the Midwest. And, you know, uh, man, what, what a day. We, uh, we went up and, uh, we, we went out of the Rainy River area, the south end. And, you know, that charter boat took us all the way across the lake, uh, all the way across Big Traverse, which is about 30 miles. Mm. And, uh, Brought us up, uh, brought us up by the northwest angle, actually, and uh, um, we we uh, drifted spinners. In fact, it was funny because we didn't have a lot of wind, so there wasn't enough wind that day to to spinner spinners, you know. So what what the what the captain of the the launch did is uh, did what's called bump trolling. You uh, you keep your your charter boat running, 
and you kick it into gear and you kick it out of gear. You can't really keep it in gear because those props are so big on a chartable, you just go too fast. But you kick it in, you kick it out. What that does is it gives you a little thrust, a little boost. And of course, you keep that uh, that bottom bouncer and that spinner at about 45 degrees, and that spinner's spinning with a two-hook harness and a night crawler on it. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, man, we we caught walleyes. We got uh, we got our eaters first, so we got our limits of eaters, and we just needed a few saugers. And we said, man, alive, we uh, we have what we need for what we you know, what we're trying to film, and we uh, we decided to go for big fish. So, uh, you know, Billy, for the big fish, we went to a different part of the lake. We went to the big open water of Big Travers, and we fished a little bit of structure. Um, you know, Lake of the Woods has a lot of mud, and miles and miles and miles of mud. And that mud is in about, you know, anywhere from you know, 28 to 38 feet of water, and all very prolific walleye fishing. And there'll be some scattered schools of walleyes on the mud. In this case, we went to some structure that pops out of that mud. So you can imagine if you got miles and miles of mud and all of a sudden you got a, a reef that pops up, how that can be a magnet. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, we, we pulled up on that, that edge just to see if we could find a big fish. And man, alive, we saw, you know, on our, on our sonar, they would call them hooks or fish on the screen, but my goodness, uh-huh. hook, hook, hook. And we're like, wow, we could get these fish to go. And you know what? They fired off, man. We, we caught, uh, Geez, I got, first I got a 25 and a half inch walleye, then I got a 28 and a half, <laughs> then we got a 27 and a half, we got a 26, we got a 24, a 24, a 23, a 21. Nice fish, you know. And those, on Lake of the Woods, you know, we just released all those fish because we had what we needed. And, you know, we, we also have a slot limit that says 19 and a half inches to 28 inches, you put them back. You keep your eaters under 19 and a half. If you want to keep one trophy over 28 for the wall, you can. <laughs> huh. What you talked about getting them to fire off, Joel? Um, how do you how do you do that? Just get them to bite. You know, yeah, get, get them to bite. Yeah, and you know, sometimes you can mark those big fish, and you can go over them with, uh, you, you know, in this case, we're pulling spinners and crawlers, and and you go over them and over and over, and they'll bite. And then maybe you try something else. Maybe you try getting over them and jigging them, and then maybe you try pulling crankbaits. Maybe you try, you know. Uh, Pulling your harnesses over them and switching your blades. Maybe you go to a bigger blade, a bigger a bigger blade when you're pulling spinners. It changes the vibration of that spinner. So when you're pulling a small spinner, spinner, it's you look at and that that affects that walleye's lateral line, and that can even mimic the kind of prey that they eat. So a small blade that might be a small minnows. It could be something in the rocks making noise like a crayfish. Then you want to change it up. You go to a bigger blade. Now it's thump, 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 you know, more like a larger tulipy or a larger perch. And and based on the size of the fish, based on their mood, based on what they're feeding on at that time of the year, or maybe that that structure that they're on, that, that can make a difference. Color can make it, a difference. With you know? the, that being said, if one of them bites, will walleyes, will that sometimes turn on the, the, the school? You know, I don't, I don't know that to be the case as much. You know, uh, the one, the one thing I think is interesting, and I, you know, this is a whole experiment that I certainly don't know about, but for, for bass anglers, you know, when I'm fishing with really good bass anglers, uh-huh. if we're fishing a tournament or in a league or something, the bass anglers I know, some of them, when they catch a bass, instead of letting that bass go, they'll, they'll put that bass in the live well. Not to keep it to bring home, but rather just to keep it that live well until they're done fishing that spot. 
because they really believe that when they let that bass go, it sends out some funky signal that turns the rest of the school off. Now, I don't know if walleyes do that or not, but uh, it's kind of interesting. I don't know that uh, um, that one of them firing off will fire the others up or not. I, I really don't know the answer to that question. But what I do know is, you know, when you got different people on the boat, regardless of what kind of fishing, or different, pe- different people in the fish house, do something different until you get those walleyes dialed in. Try a different cadence, try a different size, try a different color, you know, try a different bait. I mean, do something different until those walleyes tell you what they want that day. And it, it can work all day, Joe, or for in a lot of cases, it'll work part of a day, and then you got to figure it out again. You know, you know I'll tell you something. Um, you know, I really learned about color as an example, and you're so right. Where I really learned about color is when I uh, – I, I got my captain's license. Uh, I used to work out in the um, Lake Erie area, that Cleveland area, and, and I, st- I my first experience on charter boats was on Lake Erie. And uh, when we would troll, we would troll 14 lines on a charter boat. We'd have uh, two downriggers. We'd have three dipsy divers off the side. And then we'd have a great big uh, mast in the front of the boat with 100-pound background going out to double planer boards with three lines off of that. So you had to have two people and, you know, one running seven lines on one and one running seven lines on the other, first mate. And, uh, you know, we'd get out in the morning and let's say we're trolling spoons or, or something. But, you know, with seven lines each, we could really experiment with color. And, you know, you, you'd put down a certain color and that one color would be the ticket. Your other spoons wouldn't fire off. That one t- one color would fire off. So you'd change four of your seven to that color. And it's amazing how those fish would hit that color, but nothing else would get touched. But you know, Billy, as that sun started to rise, you know, that changes the colors under the water. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe we're getting them on, and they got different slang names for the colors, but, you know, maybe we're getting them on blueberry muffin. And all of a sudden... <laughs> We, we, you know, that's four of the seven spoons. And all of a sudden, those four spoons with blueberry muffins start dying off. But all of a sudden, bang, we whack one on fried chicken. And then, <laughs> boom, another one. So now we change four spoons of fried chicken. Fried chicken starts firing. And then, you know, all of a sudden, that starts slowing down, and we got three other colors out there. All of a sudden, bang, you know, uh, Kevorkian starts firing off. Kevorkian was a kind of a black spoon with, uh, like, white crossbones. <laughs> and, you know, it's like names like... My my point is is that you know that is really what sold me on actually colors do matter and colors do change. I remember I was pulling spinners up at Lake of the Woods in a tournament, and and I'm I'm you know I feel pretty good pulling spinners. There's about six boats on this piece of structure, and one boat was catching so many more walleyes than the rest of us. He was a friend, you know. So after the tournament, we were just you know, you know chatting about the day, and he said, you know, in pre fishing, we put this one blade on. It was kind of a reddish-orange blade. I only had two of them in my box. But that blade just fired off, and that's what we caught all of our fish on. Hmm. We're here to come to find out the rocks that we were fishing, those walleyes were eating crayfish, and that uh-huh. color somehow mimicked that crayfish to them. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool. Uh, what about the river? Is the river dead until spring or until fall? No, you know, that's, that's – yeah, I'm glad you asked that because – so we, we did filming one day – on the lake and shot that show with those big fish and those eaters and everything. So the walleyes in the lake were firing off. And then the next day, just to show variety, I did some filming on the river. And of course, you know, the, the idea on the rainy is that people, well, 
you know, they, they, they know there's a, a run of walleyes in the spring when they're going to spawn, and they know there's a fall run of walleyes when the shiners are up the river. But the summer, yeah, you know, play what? We went and pulled spinners. Well, we, first we started casting shorelines, and we got just some eater pike. We were looking for some big pike and, and maybe some big smallmouth. We got some eater pike, nothing big. And then uh, and then I whacked a couple of really nice bass, nice smallmouth along the shoreline. And then I said, you know what? Let's pull spinners in the river. I mean, spinners catch everything. So we started pulling spinners. And my goodness, if we didn't catch some nice walleyes, we got some saugers, we got some smallmouth bass, we got pike, and we got three monster crappies. Hmm. Wow. And that was that was in the rainy river. So so there's a misnomer that, you know, geez, you know, there's not many, not, not many fish in the rainy river in the summer. You know, there's a lot of the walleyes in the river go to the lake during the summer. That's true. But there's always a resident population. And, of course, year to year, there's more bait in that river than others. And if there's bait, those fish hold. If if the Rainy River was all we had, if we didn't have Lake of the Woods, the Rainy River in its own right would be an incredible fishery. People just don't fish it. The smallmouth bass fishing in the river, incredible. A buddy of mine just took his nephew out, and his nephew was casting in one of the bays of the Rainy River. Uh, a feeder or feeder river came in and uh, whacked a 44 inch pike. I mean, uh, there's a lot of life in that river. Well, th- did you have other competition for, for walleyes and some of the stuff? Like you said, mentioned pulling spinners. You know, as far as competition goes, when, when we fished on the charter boat, um, we, those charter boat captains are, I used a charter boat, I'm a charter boat captain, but I, we used somebody just for filming, just to show the experience where you can, Step on board, rod reels, tackle bait, license charter captains taken care of, and then how right. they put you on fish. And they put you on fish based on their, their understanding of the water, but also being networked in real time with other captains. Yeah. You know, we, the first spot we went to, we, we pulled spinners and he was with some other buddies in charter boats. So they were right next to us, but, but we were working together and we, we pulled a small area. And when the bite started to slow down in that area, we had some nice walleyes in the cooler. He was on the phone, and another buddy was nearby in some other structure and had some walleyes going. So we shot to this other area, and then we had, like, you know, four four charter boats right in a little area just bump trolling this rock pile. And uh, so they, they worked together. So we had, if you could call it competition, we had friends that were there. But, like, when we'd go by, we were talking to other people on a charter boat, and, you know, we were doing little filming, so they asked, you know, they were talking to us, and, it was just really cool, you know. And then on the river, yeah, there, there's there hardly anybody fishing the river. You know, the, the uh, um, it was interesting on the river, though. You know, we did see one of the days it was a little bit windy, so some of the small boats decided not to go on a big lake and just fish the river. And we saw a couple other boats that were pulling spinners near us, and, you know, they were catching walleyes, too. Mm. And uh, yeah. it's just kind of a neat setting. It is. It's a fabulous setting. Uh, well, Joe... <laughs> Are there? You mentioned uh, we got to go, but uh, you mentioned smallmouth in the river. Are there smallmouth anglers that are angling for them out there? Hardly any. It's it's an it's a secret. I mean, you know what? Uh, I I I've promoted smallmouth fishing on the river, but everybody is still walleye crazed. Hmm. And then if they're not walleye crazed, they go up to the northwest angle for for muskies. And if they're not doing that, you know, a lot of times they want to fish sturgeon on the rainy river and. You know what? We have so many big smallmouth. I told that to one of the resort owners about the smallmouth we caught. He goes, huh, you should talk to two of our guides. They go out walleye fishing during the day. Then they come back, and the, 
uh, grab their personal boats and they go in the river and they just catch footballs, just huge smallmouth huh. bass. Wow. And uh, talking to one of the guides who does that, he said, huh. he goes, the Rainy River and the South Shore Lake of the Woods all the way over to Long Point with those scattered reefs along the South Shore, they have some of the biggest bass in the whole lake. Hmm. I'll be darned. That's kind of a unknown secret then right now, too. Well, it is. I mean, there's, I've, I've caught a lot of big bass in the river, and, you know, people just don't fish them. It's just one of those things. They don't look at it as a bass destination. But, um, you know, and, and I think that river is nice, too. You know, you can bring a small boat. Yeah. There, you, you, from, from the mouth of the river to Bedette is 12 miles. And then Bedette to Birchdale, where the, the rapids kind of start, is 30 miles. That's 42 miles of navigable Rainy River. You know, there are so many nooks and crannies and current breaks, breaks and feeder streams and rock piles. And I mean, uh, there, there are a lot of bass. And, uh, uh, you know, if it, if you got a small boat, great opportunity. Fall's coming up. Fall fishing on the rainy with that, that walleye run. And then, of course, you, you know, if it's a windy day and you just want to get to the wind or maybe just want to change your pace from the lake, yeah. go, uh, go pull spinners, pull cranks, pitch jigs along docks or along shorelines. There's fish to be had. Joe, thank you. It's always fun talking to you, buddy. I uh, look forward to getting back up there sometime soon because it's been it's been a few years now. But you're absolutely right. It's a fabulous place to go, and if you don't have a boat, go on a charter because that is really fun too. It makes life easy. It really does. And uh, I should mention one more thing. You know, Billy, uh, you guys are talking about duck hunting and layout boat hunting. You know that we got some layout boat hunting up at the Northwest Angle. Uh, if you've never done it, we got some guides up there that uh, you can go lay lay on the water, and uh, those ducks come across that water, and uh, it's a hoot. Mm. How about <laughs> how about rough grouse too, Joe? Oh my gosh, we got we got three species of grouse up at Lake of the Woods, and he, the kicker is this. Not only do we have a population of them, like we don't have a lot of hunters and we have a ton of land, we got, we literally have thousands and thousands of acres of public hunting land. And the kicker is you can have, you can have thousands and thousands of acres of a woods with no, no trails or anything. Beltrami Island State Forest is an example. It's got dirt roads going through it. It's got designated walking trails for hunting. So when you park at a spot, It'll show you a sign, an aerial map of the trail in the woods. And then when you walk that trail, no ATV is allowed. You walk that trail, and it brings it through the woods in a great big loop that brings it right back to your vehicle. Um, we do have ATV trails, ton of grouse, rough grouse, spruce grouse, and sharp-tail grouse. <laughs> Bob's interested, I have a feeling. You probably <laughs> said it, singing his song, Joe. Oh, uh, yes. We're well, you know, I say those, most people are after those rough grouse. But uh, and and you know uh, the spruce grouse, you, you know they're they're you know those the, the little little bit darker meat, little bit gamey. They're not as good eating, but they're fun to shoot and try if you haven't done it. And of course the sharpies, they're they're unique. They're a bigger bird. A lot of times they're on the edge of the woods in the agricultural land, and uh, it's just kind of a neat opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I'll, when I first when I first started going hunting up there. I couldn't believe it. You'd be driving along the, the dirt road to go to your spot, and you'd see six of them on the side of the road, and they'd run into the ditch. And I mean, you know, central Minnesota, where I'm from, you just didn't see that. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> well, well and, then, and then the land, right? Like, I'm used to going to public hunting and having that land trampled over how many times before I, I've been there. You almost got to be early in the season and then be one of the first ones there to wait until, you know, Boy, you know, here it's like, well, you know, where do we go? 
It's just that there's yeah. so much land that's available to us. Cool. Joe Henry, I thank you, sir, and we will chat again, my friend. Thanks a lot, you guys. I appreciate it. You bet. You. That's Joe Henry, tourism director for Lake of the Woods. And uh, sounds like he's a hunter. I know he's a fisherman, but there's a lot of opportunity up on Lake of the Woods. And not only that, but there's lots and lots of places to stay and resorts that you can call home for a week or so, and uh, you'll enjoy it. Let's take our last break, Bob, and we will come back and chat about uh, your experiences, green timber hunting. And, um, you know, there's just lots of stuff going on, including game <laughs> fair. I've got a comment about that, too. And Matt or Rex, who is a puppy that belongs to Chad, will be uh, he'll be seeing one of the people that are at game fair today and tomorrow and next weekend, too. In just a few days, we'll take a break. Be back with more. Is the Fed. this Saturday morning. Hope you have plans. It's turning out to be a very, very nice day. Uh, I don't see a cloud in the sky here in central Minnesota, and I know Bob doesn't either, um, because it's you can see just a little piece of the sky out of the studio. <laughs> but just a reminder, keep it right here on the fan, because uh, um, Max is in for Cine this morning, so it's Max and Friends will be hosting in the zone. And maybe you can get Max to talk a little bit about his trip to South America. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was an enjoyable conversation. So uh, anyway, Bob, you uh, you had some experience green timber hunting. What would you think? Uh, yeah, so it was probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. I've, I've been down there to Stuttgart, Arkansas twice. Huh. Um, it, it, so it, it, it was amazing. Um I, to your earlier question about did the ducks come back um, to particular water to holes, and I that was my experience that they, you know, there's there's like holes in the forest or in the trees where um, there's a big enough opening where the ducks can kind of drop out of the sky, and I don't think you don't need nearly the number of decoys that you do out on the big prairie. But it is critical, based on my experience, that, that you have to be a really, really solid caller. Because, it, you know, those those ducks can't see you like they can on the prairie, the see, the, see the decoys. And um, when when you hear, like when you're hunting them in big prairie, you can hear the ducks coming and you can see them. And then they start to tornado and you're... It, that anticipation where it's just building, building, building is awesome. But in in the woods, in the green timber, you can hear them, but you can't see them until they just start dropping out of the treetops. And it is just oh. wild, just wild. They're, you know, they just start dropping one, two, and then buckets full of them start coming out of the treetops at you. And it is it was a really, really cool experience. It sounds awesome, and I, I know just in watching some videos, the the retrievers 
that hunters use uh, spend their time on a platform mm-hmm. just waiting for the command to uh, to go mm-hmm. and uh, that's pretty cool too pretty cool but there's um, no way I'm going duck hunting where there are alligators <laughs> no I agree with you <laughs> no thank you it, some of the some of the uh, the blinds that they have down there also I mean these guys will get the hunters will get in the blind and somebody will make breakfast yeah, and yeah. they'll have bacon and eggs and it's hey, a, that's it, my my waterfowling experience didn't include any of that <laughs> it's you know the closest thing is uh, so I did that sort of a hunt where it was you know permanent blinds in the timber with very specific like um watering holes and you know there was breakfast being cooked and it was very similar in a cultural perspective to you know what we consider the culture and the traditions of deer hunting um mm-hmm. up here in the north woods that's what duck hunting is to to arkansas uh where families and friends gather and uh, get up very early in the morning uh, make make their breakfast in the duck blind and duck hunt and then then go back to duck camp um it, it's really really a fun fun tradition a little bit different than up here but a lot of similarities Aren't the the don't they flood the rice the rice paddies also that mm-hmm. are are dry or parts of the year are dry? Yeah, yeah, the rice fields. Are they, a lot of flooded timber is flooded specifically for duck season too. It's not, um, you know, where they'll dam up or um, prevent a stream or river from or whatever from uh, flowing, and they'll just dam that up for a period of time to flood. Uh, the timber for duck hunting, and then they'll release it again. Uh, it's just, it's really interesting. Well, and I know John Devney of Delta Waterfall, and we've spoken with him, talks about it's good for the prairie to dry up from time to time mm-hmm. because then it revitalizes the uh, the breeding areas, the potholes, and the temporary waters that are out there. And that's really, really the food holds ducks, mm-hmm. and the food attracts ducks, too. And that's a that's a big deal. Yeah. It, it, um, if you haven't ever done that flooded timber though, and you're a duck hunter, you gotta you gotta experience it. It's it's definitely um, a bucket list. You know, it shouldn't just be a dream. You should go do it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I have when the spinning wing decoys first mm. came out. I'll never forget that. Because that's the closest thing I, I think I ever come to the tornado of ducks. We found tornadoes of ducks. Eric and I, Eric and I did out in Dakota, North Dakota, and uh, we were going to that would be our spot. And I happened to mention it to Jason Mitchell, mm-hmm. and uh, Jason said, "Yeah, I'm going to guide there tomorrow." Hmm. Well, that put a wrench in that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but we had with a spinning wing decoy. It was a blue sky, just like it is now. Uh-huh. And the, we had just begun. I had I had bought one, just one. Those ducks came over, and you could, they were specks in the sky, and they set their wings mm-hmm. and came down and came down, and they they just dropped out of the heavens and came right on top of us, and it was so much fun. But I'm guessing green timber is close to close to that on a different scale. Yeah, you know when you, you know this better than anyone when you're when you are sitting 
on the X. You know, when your yeah. decoys and your layout oh. line or whatever it is, you're on the X and those ducks absolutely, no matter what, want to come to that point. Yep. It is, <laughs> it, I mean, it, 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 you just start giggling uncontrollably. It's, it, it's just, it's unbelievable how amazing that experience is. Um, it, and I, and I, I've had... I've had hunts where we take turns shooting, mm-hmm. and then we, we'll only shoot one shell just because there's so many birds that we didn't want to quit and we wanted to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you're done, you just stop mm-hmm. and watch and just enjoy. Uh, it's pretty, and the, the field hunting that I did, I didn't shoot anything. It just was very intimidated. But it was like that, too. I mean, the pick cornfield when you scout it. And you get in there, and these birds, these mallards are working and working and working, and they're down. I had one, the wingtip of one actually hit my blind, mm. that I, the blind I was laying in. Mm. And it was just phenomenal. Just the experience itself was so incredible. And there's Chevy looking out the window. I think there might be ducks swimming by. (laughs) Stream of consciousness. (laughs) Unbelievable. He just came flying in here. Uh, That's wonderful. (laughs) Hey, I wanted to mention also regarding uh, um, uh, Game Fair. Yeah. In fact, uh, next Thursday, Rex will be going out to Dawkins Oak Grove Kennels for the Intro to Game and Bird program. And the trainer out there, the head trainer, is Mr. Mike Weaven. And Mike will be out at Game Fair. So if you do get out there today or tomorrow or next weekend, be sure you talk to Mike about what goes on or talk to Tom Dawkins. He's out there at Game Fair also. Talk to him too about if you've got a young dog about the intro to game and birds, uh, and it's uh, they introduce them to guns, birds, and it's uh, it's quite a neat program. And I know that your dogs have not been through that, Bob, but they have been out to mm-hmm. Oak Grove, yeah, and uh, yep. it's a pretty cool place. Uh, Oak Ridge, Oak Ridge, uh, that's yep, it. Yep, uh, wonderful people, and uh, yeah, like you say, Mike, we've been uh, took great care of my Gitchy pup. Um, last year and helped with retrieve work and um, she is doing excellent i am i am jacked for the hunting season ahead cap oh you've been you've been jacked since the first (laughs) year we're closing in though we're closing in um i do have before we run out of time we got an email to the bradshaw and brian inbox taylor a longtime listener wants to know when we're going to be at the state fair and uh, I believe we're going to be this state fair the first Thursday, 7 yep. to 9. Yep. So that is the only time to catch Fan Outdoors at the state fair. Yes, we will. Uh, we will be down there with uh, not a bucket. I'll pick up a bucket on the way out of Sweet Martha's Cookies and share them with uh, the family. That's kind of my routine when yes, I go it down. Is. So the music is playing, which means we've got to turn it over to Max and Friends. But uh, before we do that, I want to say thank you to Tommy George for joining us this morning, which he does every other week. To Mr. Paul Waite of Delta Waterfall, and also to Joe Henry of uh, Tourism Director for Lake of the Woods area. But thank you for allowing Bob and I and Brett to travel with you today.
For Brett Blakemore, our producer, for Bob St. Pierre, my very good friend and co-host, I am Billy Hildebrand saying have a fabulous weekend. See you later. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.